0: From deep in the heart of Texas, it's time to chain fires from freedom with another episode of the CloverTac Podcast. Listen in as we have a conversation with people from the firearm industry and community.
1: Are you ready for the show? We are too. Let's go.
0: What's up crew? Welcome to a, another Clovertech podcast. February 16th, 2023. Powered by MTM Case Guard and uh, if you want to check out all the cool stuff, you probably got a lot of stuff from already, but if you want to check out all the other cool stuff they got, obviously, mtmcase-guard.com and uh, second episode into the season of the podcast. We do have we do have that uh, discount code When you go to uh, MTM at case-guard.com, use code CLOVERTAC, going to save you 10%. Not much, but every little bit certainly helps. Going to be talking with uh, Jake. You may know Jake from, of course, Walk the Talk America, but also the Noggin Notes podcast. Zephyr Wellness going to be talking mental health. Uh, should be a very interesting conversation before we get to Jake and bring him in. I just want to say, if you do have questions, Make sure you throw those out there in the chat. We'll flag them and try to get to them, so be patient with that. Uh, and then, uh, as always, thanks to those that are Patreon patrons, YouTube channel members, those that super chat, super thanks, those that shop, clovertech.com slash shop, and uh, proud member, of course, we are of the Professional Outdoor Media Association, POMA, as well as the uh, Firearms Radio network so with that let me get the uh, chat up and bring mr jake in the house what's happening bud
1: oh it's a beautiful day here in my office about 55 degrees inside because the furnace blower gave out about a week ago and the landlords are in the midst of scheduling a replacement so i have a space heater that's not doing much (laughs) i'm freezing
0: um (laughs) yeah i guess 55 is comfortable here so
1: yeah i'm i'm okay with it my fingertips are a little chilly all right um but right. the but the but the gals in the office are suffering and i got <laughs> space heaters all over the place and they're blanketed up and dressed up like Nanook of the north look like they're going you know, to summit everest and right <laughs> Trying to, trying to do therapy in the in the less than desirable conditions
0: right well hopefully they get you fixed up before too terribly long um real quick i mean for those we've obviously we've had uh mike Sedini on the podcast several times i think this is the first time we've had you um mm-hmm. just a few minutes talk about yourself kind of your background and all of that stuff get get folks familiar with you before we kind of kick off the conversation i don't know what kind of rabbit holes we will go down so go ahead and cover that right off the bat
1: I'm good. It's wabbit, wabbit hole season. Uh, so go. Jake, Jake Wiskersh, last name, and I'm a marriage and family therapist by trade. I own and operate a company called Zephyr Wellness up here in northern Nevada. And for those of you from the uh, Midwest and East it is Nevada, not Nevada, please don't put a W or an H in the middle of my state's name. And uh, yeah, I uh, got a couple of kids, they happen to be here in the office with me because they're out of school today. And so if they come in, you might or something nice um got a wife a couple of dogs um i got i, I don't know there's there's lots i'm not big into the verbal resume thing
0: <laughs> right right but as far as uh you know mental health, uh the therapy and all that how long have you been doing that <laughs> uh
1: how long you been therapizing uh i graduated with my uh, counseling degree in late twenty eleven got licensed in twenty twelve so I've been licensed as a practitioner for wow. uh, coming up on eleven years now and before that, I was doing some para para professional type stuff working in home with kids, mm-hmm. teaching them social skills and that kind of stuff for a couple of years so and then before that i I worked in a school setting so like really, I've been working with people in a helping profession or capacity for quite some time, but I said all told it was about fourteen years I'd say
0: okay. Okay, very cool. Um, obviously, uh, the Noggin Notes podcast. Want to definitely talk about that. By the way, links to not only Walk the Talk of America, but Noggin Notes podcast and Zephyr Wellness down in the description below. But um, the podcast. When did that kick off? What's uh, what's the story behind that?
1: That so that's a cool that's a cool story. Um, okay, so back in so i opened zephyr wellness with a couple of partners um they, they both left by now so i'm I'm the only one left but we opened zephyr in 2015 and very shortly thereafter i got a an opportunity to do a little brokered media radio show on uh you know, nobody listens to a radio <laughs> a half hour a day um, you know once a week so i was doing that for for about a year and a half and then so out of the blue from a a friend who is in China. He was working for uh, the gaming industry, uh, doing doing gambling stuff in casinos in in China. And he had recently moved uh, from Macau to uh, Cambodia. he's like, hey, uh, I got a buddy over here. He's, He's big into mental health. He wants to do this mental health app for phones. And I was wondering if you could talk to him. I said, yeah, absolutely. So Lauren is my friend's name. He hooks me up with this guy named Sofiso. Sofiso Rapinga is his name. He's from South Africa, but living in Cambodia. And there's this other guy named Tom Phillips, who's from the UK. So Sofiso and Tom come together and they want this this app called Noggin Notes. So it was presumed to be a a tracking thing for your, your mood. And it's like a digital journal. You just enter stuff. And And so they consulted with me and I said, this is a really cool idea, um, but it's really obvious. You guys have no idea what you're doing. So I helped them kind of put it together and stuff. And then at the end of a couple of conversations, they said, you know, this is really great. Would you mind writing some articles for the app uh, to help people or whatever? I said, yeah, but, you know, having the radio show in my mind, uh, which had just ended, I said, you know, it's faster than writing is talking. How about a podcast? And so they're like, yeah, absolutely. How do we do that? I was like, I don't know. I just know that they exist. (laughs) We uh, we put a we put a podcast together, and I started doing weekly podcasts on the Noggin Notes app starting in uh, July of seventeen, and I did that weekly for about three years, and collected a bunch of episodes and interviewed people all over the world, and it was really great. And it, it tapered off a little bit; it wasn't quite the hectic, frenzied pace uh, after a few years. But because uh, we're about three years in when the the world ended when COVID hit, so right. uh, still have Noggin Notes; it's still going. But what it's uh, what it's morphed into is. Turns out apps are very expensive to maintain, so the app has disappeared. The podcast has persisted, but it's spun off two more podcasts. So mm-hmm. Safisa, being from South Africa, having friends there, uh, we launched a Noggin Notes Africa podcast with its own host, and there's nice. a Noggin Cambodia podcast with its own host. And now Noggin Notes is basically an organization that that teaches mental health and wellness and emotional functioning to people in. Southeast Asia, Cambodia specifically, but up into Laos and Vietnam and, and also in South Africa. And it's because those parts of the world have no clue at all about what mental health and emotional functioning are because it's just not in their culture. So he's, uh, you know, he's, he's seen by the local community as this mental health guy. And he's like, well, not really. I'm just a dude with an idea and does this podcast, but now he's become a consultant to, to fairly big companies like Heineken in Nam Phen. Uh, because they're like hey we need this stuff to help our workforce or whatever uh, perform better and you know be healthier and so he's become a consultant and a coach down there really the first of his kind for all intent and purpose and he's really making a cultural change f- for a culture that you know the youth are now connected to the west via the internet and they're kind of poking around wondering what this mental health stuff is but they're the older generations have no Idea how to address it and specifically in Cambodia because they just went through a genocide, you know, in our lifetime. Right. Um, they're still reeling with a lot of the trauma effects and they don't, they don't know how to deal with it. So they just stuff it down, keep, keep it moving, keep it moving. And so it's, it's really cool to be a part of something like that that's truly international. So, you know, if you check out Naga Notes, you're going to hear conversations that I have with people uh, broadly around the world. And um, if you're into, Checking out what's going on in Africa, you can listen to Africa or the Cambodian one. I mean, it's, it's really it's it's pretty special, and I'm I'm honored and humbled to be a part of something like that. Just started so innocently, organically, uh, from a guy I you know had in the fraternity in college.
0: Right now, with uh, with having the other two the other two things going, I mean, I, I think that's kind of cool. Uh, the the question I would follow up with was: mental health is obviously a human element, but do you see Different mental health issues in those countries compared to this one, or do we pretty much all face well, the same
1: things? It's that's a really interesting question. Speaking of rabbit holes, we'll just jump into this one, I suppose. um So probably some context is important. Mm-hmm. The idea of psychiatry, well, you mentioned the
0: genocide; like we don't yeah. really have that in our lifetime here. So obviously, well, uh, that totally effect, yeah.
1: Yeah, totally. So let, let's start with the, with the big lens, uh, psychiatry broadly kind of started in, in Western Europe and and then moved out from there, uh, with the people like Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung. And, um, and then it came to the, the U S and, uh, kind of really took root. So largely what people think of when they think mental health, they think of, um, talk therapy, uh, sometimes medication can be on board with that to alter brain chemistry and so forth. And usually it's framed in something I just reached over here. I got my, um, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. This is the big book. It's called the DSM. It's got okay. all the diagnostic criteria about what mental disorders would be. And it gets bigger every year when they, or every edition that they, that they re, uh, revise it. Right. Um, but the idea is that we have framework. It's a medical model. It's largely Western medical model. Uh, you meet criteria for a diagnosis. We treat the diagnosis. You get better. But... For people who are unfamiliar with that, um, there's a lot of criticism to that particular model because it is very limiting and it's very, it's kind of rigid. But if we pull that back and we go back to original psychiatry from yesteryear, what those guys were doing was they were seeing into the depth of a human being for who they could be potentially, like as God created them, right? To the inner soul of a person. And that is limitless in its capacity. And they ask about like, what, how does it present when you're sick. Uh, And it can, it usually presents in basically the same forms and functions, which is you're nervous, you're overly anxious, you're worried about things, you're sad and depressed for too long, you might have some trauma, because human beings are designed to live in harmony, right? And so if something disrupts that harmony, whether it's danger, or threat of violence, or uh, lack of attachments with caregivers, it's, it's pretty universally applicable across the board. And I know that there's people out there who argue with that and that's fine. But from my view, I I kind of try to, I honor culture because people's cultural lens is how they, they interact with the world. But I try to strip right. that away and, and look through the, the outward behaviors to the person on the inside and meet them there. And I find that that's universally applicable, uh, irrespective of culture or demographic or geography. Uh, and If you can touch that and connect with that a lot of really good healing can happen. So I ten, I find that resonates with a lot of people when you, I just go, you know, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what kind of shame you care, what you're nervous about in the future. Let's try to get you the best life you want for you and, um, and empower you to, to be well and healthy. And, and a lot of that, you know, has to do with solid parenting, excellent home, you know, foundation connection with community, small tribe, And uh, and I could talk more about how, you know, the the tribe these days, too, has has seemed to augment with social media. It seems like everybody is in our tribe. Therefore, we should perform for everybody. And and that's (laughs) just that's that's crazy talk like we I think it's actually making us crazy and crazy is not a bad word. You can say that. That's fine. Um, But it's it's problematic because it's given the brain the impression that we have to meet everybody's standards. It's just not possible. So it's I think it's driving us a little bit a uh, little bit loony trying to keep up with everything. Right. The uh the unachievable goals, so to speak. Yeah, right, right.
0: Um, with um I, I do want to hit and we'll do that a little later on. I want to get into uh, how you got involved with Sedini and Walk the Talk America and all that real quick because that yeah. is one thing I definitely want to uh want to highlight out there. And there's uh, Duncan jumping in as a matter of fact out there. Duncan, hi says Jake, uh, thank you for all you do. You and WTTA uh, saving lives. He says so. Yeah, Duncan yeah, we got we got to get Duncan on our podcast. Uh, we do
1: have another podcast called Guns and Mental Health. Um, Duncan very, is
0: a uh, got a good story for sure. He de-
1: does, he does. Um, I'm he's one of our biggest uh, fans right right out the gate, and um, yeah, I'm I'm excited to chat with him. But so uh, the way I met Mike was actually through Noggin Notes. So I have another fraternity brother, different guy. His name's Jordan, and Jordan happens to manage and run his uh it's his mom's company it's called reno guns and range here in town uh, and jordan and okay. i have been best friends for, since college which is you know early 2000s and we talked about this this guns and mental health thing for years but we couldn't really make it make sense um because it's hard it's a it's a weird uh juxtaposed set of topics but the, one day he just texts me out of the blue and he says hey have you heard of walk the talk america and i clicked on the website that he he sent through the text and I was like, this is amazing. This is, amazing. Like, this is right? mental health. Right? And So I reached out to uh, them and them happened to be Mike running Mike, a one-man show sure. uh, for all intent and purpose and said, hey, I'd like to have you guys on Noggin Notes. And so you guys ended up being Mike on Noggin Notes. And he and I chatted for you know an hour and a half on that show. This is uh, spring of 2019, probably April or May. Mm-hmm. And... I at the time was chairing my licensing board. So, if you're unfamiliar with the profession, we have we have licenses granted to us by the state that said that we've met minimum competence to practice. So, I was chairing that board, and I was deeply involved in a lot of the the regulations and policies and laws. And I I connected well with several of the other licensing board people for social workers and psychologists and so forth. And uh, I said after the the podcast, I said, I think I've got a role in your organization. I think I think what we need to do to try to bridge this gap is to train up practitioners in cultural competence of firearms. And, right. you know, firearms culture is very broad and very, quite varied yes, and uh, very diverse. As I found out, I didn't know that at the time because I was, you know, I've been a lifelong gun owner. Uh, it was, I was in a family full of cops and, and hunters. And so we, we just saw it as a tool for a job. It was, it was natural. I mean, yeah. and It was natural. Like you don't think about it if you grew up with it. No, you don't. And, and it was just, it, I wasn't, We didn't really do competitions. We didn't change out barrels. We didn't, we didn't decorate things. Like I was, I just was unaware of it. I didn't know all that existed. And uh, so I was talking to Mike, I said, we need to, I need to get trained and I need to be able to train people. So what we did is we created a program that was good for continuing education credit for when you renew your license. Nice, And that became our At the Intersection of Guns and Mental Health course. And now it's a it's a three-part course. The first two parts are available on the on the website for free for downloads. If you're a practitioner or you know practitioners and they want to learn about this stuff, please, please, please invite them to take our courses. So we launched a couple of those courses. I got them certified with all the other boards for continuing ed credit. And um, we did a couple in town at Reno Guns. Uh, they hosted it there. Mike and Rob Pincus and I taught the course. We had 12 or 14 the first time. You know, it was like July, December of nineteen. We had another twelve or fourteen. We had another one planned for Vegas in March of twenty, but then the you know the world ended, sure. and uh, so we scrapped that. But we pivoted to an online forum, and we used the University of Nevada's uh, program. It's called the CASSAT program. And it's an acronym. It stands for the Center for the Application of Substance Abuse Technologies. They do much more than substance abuse, but they host these courses. And so we hosted one there and we got like 70 plus people. And then we hosted Whoa. another one a few months later. We got 230. And so before we know it, we were reaching all sorts of people with this course. And it was great. And along the way, we realized we need to flip the coin over and do something similar for the firearms community right. where we teach them about what counseling is and demystify it and, and help them feel safe and secure and entering so we all know that there's red flag laws out there that stand in the way people don't want to come into care because they're afraid they're going to get flagged or whatever and um a lot of it is pushing back against that saying that we have ethical prohibitions that pre- prevent us from just you know picking up the bat, bat phone which i don't have a bat phone but people think i do right. to dot to gov and tattling on them or calling cps because they're struggling and they own firearms so that's been a big part of what we do, too, is bringing this to the firearms community. And we've done stuff at, like, Kevin Dixie's Train and Learn, and uh, we've gone up to different organizations. We Obviously, we go to SHOT Show, and and it's been really well-received. The, the gun community has received it super, super well. Um, counselors are still a little bit afraid to, to come forward. I, I say frequently that I had to come out of the closet as a gun-owning practitioner mm-hmm. because most of my peer colleagues are you know, they're as suspicious of firearms as firearms owners are suspicious of counseling. So that was a big step for me to, to land with both feet in this realm. But I realized that the, the trade-off, even if my peer colleagues didn't like me anymore or whatever, which some of them don't, and that's fine. But the, the trade-off was that millions of people would get access to people like me that maybe never have have seen that before you know it's like i go to shot show and it's like they're touching me it's like are you real are you? it's like you're not a hologram you you really do both right. um so that's been really cool and i and, and people like duncan you know it's like we probably probably never would have experienced this had it not been for our organization so it's that's how we met my that's how i met mike that's how i got integrated and i haven't looked back and it's become a passion project you know i don't get paid for any of this stuff and walk the talk certainly can use more more funding but um, it's it's great and i'll never stop i'll never stop
0: well, it's a matter of recognizing. I mean, there there, there definitely is, you know, you talk about the stigma. You, you know, you mentioned the word crazy earlier. And, you know, sometimes you just have to use a word to describe something. It may not necessarily be the best word. But, you know, everybody, It's like I said earlier, when we were talking about Africa and Cambodia, I mean, it's a human condition. Mental health mm-hmm. is it's just as important as physical health. Yep. And so um, we all face some type of issue at some point in our lives some worse than others and sometimes are worth than uh, worse than others right but um you know as, as far as those conditions uh you know one of the questions i was thinking about with having you on is at least here in the here in the us um is there a, a particular condition diagnosis that you see more often or maybe a a set or a group of them than others. And I mean, they may not even be big deals, but that it seems like folks in the U S wrestle with.
1: Yeah, I do. And I think that it's, it's kind of twofold. Um, I dropped in your, uh, thing there. So you can share with everybody is my emotional functioning videos. I, I start there and I'll get into that in a minute, but anxiety and depression are probably the most prevalent. Uh, you hear more about some other things that are a little more, I guess, uh, I don't know, intimidating, like bipolar disorder sounds intimidating, uh, personality disorders sound more intimidating, eating disorders, alcoholism, that kind of stuff. But, but really the root is a person's inability to respond well to their environment and, a lot of times, people can get overly anxious, concerned about all the things of life, and quite frankly, the, the the pace of life in Western society is has outstripped our ability to handle it. Our we haven't evolved yet. Our brains haven't evolved to handle constant stimulus, uh, round the clock demands from work, constant access to news feeds, that kind of stuff. It's just we're not there. And I'll, I'll share another video from a from a gal from Rand Corporation who does a very good job of explaining why that is, but at the root of it for me is emotional functioning. If you know what your core 10 emotions are in your brain, and I'm putting to like the, like the middle and rear part of my brain here, because that's <laughs> right. where our emotional right. functioning is. Um, if you can identify that well, you can respond well to the environment and then not have it stack up and bottle up behind you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you can transition into your frontal lobe here, uh, the, the, the frontal part of your brain where reason and logic exists. And I explain all this in the video series. So I start there because emotional functioning isn't really in anybody's curriculum. Um, K-12 settings are tr- sort of trying to do it now with social emotional learning, but that most social emotional learning programs are poor at best. And some of them are just outright Trojan horses for political agendas, which sucks. But it, it, I mean, it's true. Like I got to call it as I see it, but uh, maybe 10 or 15% of them are legitimate. So I I try to encourage people to, to watch my videos because they're rooted in research. They're Again, they're universally applicable regardless of culture. It's been studied across the globe. And these 10 core emotions that this guy, Carol Izzard, researched over 50 years, uh, we all have them. And if we know them well and we can precisely and accurately identify them, it improves our communication. It improves our self-regulation. It improves our boss-employee relationships, spousal relationships, parenting ability. Uh, So I just push emotional functioning as much as I can as the foundation of, of where I start. And the results I've gotten from people who, who really take this stuff in is like, man, I can see my life so much differently now that I know what my brain is doing. So it's not woo woo. It's not, it's not some parlor trick. It's like, this is neurological necessity that we have. We all possess it. And it's, it's a lot less threatening, I guess. It's a little more disarming when I say, Hey, yeah, everybody's brain does the same thing. And being a dude looking like me, you know, with the beard and the six foot one and a couple hundred pounds looking like a linebacker talking about feelings it's like it's a it's a kind of a passive invitation for other dudes to to look into themselves and and do it too so um that's that's where i start and then back to the anxiety and depression stuff a lot of times what happens is people get overwhelmed with their anxiety such to the point that they kind of give up and then they slip into uh hey screw it why try which looks like depression and so they end up walking into, say, my office and they're like, I'm depressed, You know, I'm, not, I'm unmotivated, I don't know where I'm going in life. And a good, robust interview with that individual will probably reveal that they've, they're worrying about too many things. And uh, I like to say, generically speaking, when we fixate our thoughts on something in the future that hasn't occurred yet, that's anxiety. And generically speaking when we fixate our thoughts on something in the past that's already dead and gone that's depression so how do we combat that we'd be right in the moment uh be in the present moment dealing with life as life you know confronts us one moment at a time moment by moment um, but how do you do that well you got to know your emotions well right so uh right. so that's for me the, the the key underpinning all this i think if the more we can push this information out into the public the less often people have to come through my door and seek professional psychotherapy. And quite frankly, I'm trying to work myself out of a job. I, I truly sure. like if, if I can live in a healthy community where nobody needs counseling, I will gladly pay my bills doing literally any other work. I'll go back to food service. I'll drive a forklift again. I don't, I don't care because it means everybody's happy and healthy. There's no more bullying on the playground. There's no more homicides. There's no more suicides There's no more addiction. You know, So, um, that's what I'm trying to do with this stuff. Right.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, having the proper tools to kind of know what's going on. I think that that when somebody's having an issue, I think they being able to recognize that they're having a, an issue is one thing, but then really nailing it down, it's the difference between going I I don't feel right or something doesn't feel right and actually knowing like you're like you're talking about like what's going on because sometimes you can't figure out the cause without that. Um, yeah. And yep.
1: Can't really good, accurate address. identification is, is important.
0: Yeah, you can't, you can't, and if you don't address the cause, right, like it's, what difference does it make at that point? Um, you're just putting a Band-Aid on it, and I think there's a big, I think there's a big problem. Uh, I've seen this going for a while, I want your opinion on it, in the mental health space, where all too often, and especially working with kids in the youth shooting sports arena, um, I see I see people being put on medications from a mental health standpoint that, okay, maybe it's valid. Maybe they need it. But I'm sitting back thinking, what if they dealt with this in another way? Uh, and and a good example is like hyperactivity or something like that, right? Um, concentration, you know, those types of things. I've seen numerous kids deal with that, like a complete 180 turnaround when we get them into, into youth shooting sports, right? and we they've got that structure and we teach them focusing on the target and breathing and all of these other things and eventually that translates over into schoolwork right that translates over into everything else um how often do you think that happens that that it's the 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 physical medical industry is bad to push drugs you know what i mean uh really bad treat symptoms i should say more than anything um is that a thing in the mental health space at all
1: absolutely it is it's unfortunate to see it because it's happened rapidly actually um what we've gone from is seeing people as deeper than their symptom presentation or their outward measurable behaviors and Mm -hmm. only seeing them as their behaviors and there's money in that and and i'm not even i'm not even dogging the 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 industry at this point. I will dog the industry later for other things, but but I can I can have some some pretty good compassion for people who want to quantify and measure their outcomes. I think that's a good thing. I think we should be absolutely measuring in some sort of tangible form whether you're progressing, right? The problem is the pendulum is swung a little too far where people going through school now for for counseling and, and other mental health stuff are solely focused on that as the driver of their interventions. So we've got these quote unquote evidence-based practices now that have almost turned into formulaic therapy and we've forgotten the individual. So we start assigning, uh, you know, worksheets and, um, mindfulness things. And it's like, okay, that's, those are good interventions, but are they the right intervention for the person sitting in front of you? So if you, if you think of it in terms of, how uh, somebody walks into my office and I say, hi, I'm Jake. Hi, Chris. Nice to meet you. Okay. What brings you in today? And you say something ostensibly that is your problem area. And then I'll go, okay, so problem is at the top. And then we, we maybe dialogue a little bit more about a couple other problems that you want to deal with. Um, Usually what you say is a symptom though. It's my job to figure out what's beneath that. And that's the actual problem giving rise to the symptom. But anyway, we have a problem. And then I go, well, what do you want to do about that? And usually it's like, well, I want to fix it. Right. So that becomes our goal. And then those goals should be measurable, time limited, you know, reasonably achievable. And then I do an intervention based on you. Right. Uh So if you're, if you're like me and you got a brain that goes Mach three and, you know, runs at a little higher RPM than than most people, (laughs) you're not, I'm not going to assign you mindfulness because you're just going to be frustrated with it. Um, I might start teaching you and I'll teach you what's going on with your brain. If you're, uh, if you're a little slower, more methodical person, I might say, hey, start, start with some journaling, right? So what we're doing is we're throwing interventions at people that we know work from research, but it's a little bit lazy on the clinical intervention side to be doing that. Medicine is one of those interventions. We know medicines work because they alter your own brain chemistry. Well, what, what else alters your brain chemistry is where you direct your attention. If I invite you to, you know, look at a picture of puppies nibbling on each other's ears, you're gonna have happy chemicals flowing through your brain, probably unless you don't like puppies, which then I would question your existence <laughs> right. on the planet. Right. Um, but if I direct your attention to something horrific like the towers collapsing on 9-11, you're gonna have fear or sadness chemicals flowing through your brain. So you can you can alter your own brain chemistry by taking command of your own decision making on where you do, decide to direct your attention. I don't we don't need medicine for that. We need diligent practice, which then gets to your question about youth and youth sports, especially shooting sports, because it takes so much concentration, but really any extracurricular activity, if done in a very structured environment with a good coach, from music to sport, to you know ball sports, team sports, individual sports, what you're doing is you're training your brain with practice over and over to focus. And then it tells you as an individual, I can do this elsewhere. And then it becomes generally applicable to things like math and social studies and book reading or whatever. So if you got a distracted kid, a hyperactive kid, chances are really strong that your kid is overly intelligent, thinks that they master things a little bit quicker than they actually do, and they get bored easily. And unfortunately, our our education system broadly is is failing children. The last 20 years or so, it's all pivoted since the No Child Left Behind Act uh, took root. And what we're doing is we're failing to elevate children in the individualized way that they need it. And so we're actually losing a whole bunch of children instead of uh, pushing them forward. So they get into these classrooms where they're bored. uh, They can't connect the meaning and purpose of what they're doing in school. And then they get home and they dive into their devices, which is stimulus, stimulus, stimulus. Oh yeah, Instant gratification culture, not just through devices, but through Googling search results.
0: Oh, same day delivery on Amazon catalog, right? Right.
1: Amazon delivering your, your products to you. You don't have to go to the store anymore. You can just scroll through like instant gratification has become a real problem because what it's done is it's eroded our distress tolerance. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have any distress tolerance as a child, you grow up into an adult. You don't have any distress tolerance as an adult. And when you don't get what you want, you throw a fit. And so now we have adults throwing tantrums when they don't get what they want. And I've right. got this, like this petulant populace. Now it's like, I don't want to go to work because work isn't thrilling me. It's like, well, you know, maybe you got to find something else that gives you meaning and purpose for your work. Like not just work itself, but you're working to pay for your kid's college education or that new batting helmet or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things when we think about, especially
0: medications and stuff that, you know, is, you, you mentioned it, and I'm glad you did, the instant gratification. I think that plays in a lot of times. Like, people want whatever it might be, whether they're having a mental health issue or a physical issue or their car is broken down or their roof is leaking. They want an instant fix, right? And a lot of times, because, and in in, I'm not saying that the the mental health professionals, you know, bear everything to blame but if you've got you know somebody that comes in and they're really pushing like they want something done yesterday right you know i don't know that that doesn't play into it a little bit the the instant gratification part of things
1: it i think it absolutely does and i mean we could trace this back to i don't know maybe the the microwave or something or the you know, the vcr <laughs> or, you know because you could record your show and watch Holy it anytime yeah. and now we accelerate that into streaming everything and instant everything. So, I mean, we even have things like instant pot, right? It's just throw your food in the pot and it comes out and it's a meal. Um, and it feels like cooking, but it's really not. Uh, so it's it's a cultural thing, right? And, and if you want to move the needle on culture, you got to get to start with the individuals within the culture. And that takes work. And if all of us collectively are not interested in, <laughs> in good hard work, well, then you got the problems we have. So to your point though, it's, it's not just us, it's 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 all of society. And so what we can do is take individual responsibility for slowing down shifting more to appreciation gratitude practicing patience and and i think that also improves our relationships too then we're not snapping at our significant others for not magically mind reading what we needed them to do in the home or whatever so it's it has a it has a ripple effect across across all of of society specifically with medication though uh, a lot of psychiatrists actually are on board with this some of them are not some are just you know lazy too, but medication sure. is supposed to be a, like a shoehorn and kids these days don't even know what a shoehorn is anymore. But, but you know, you, you, slide your, your foot into your shoe with the, the assistance of the shoehorn. Once it's in there, you don't walk around with the, the shoehorn in all day. you pull it out and set aside. Same thing with medication. Medication is supposed to alleviate the symptoms such that you can practice new behaviors. And then once those behaviors take root, medication goes away because you've altered your function uh so it should be it's it's good i'm not i'm not dogging medication at all what i'm dogging is medication in perpetuity as a proxy for the solution it's not the solution it's a it's an aid to the solution right yeah um jumping back to uh kind of the firearm
0: side of things here for a minute when we're talking about the firearm community you know lifelong firearm owners those that have been only been in the community for a few months whatever um you know to help with awareness of the mental health aspect to help with awareness of things like wtta um what are some of your tips your pointers your talking points that we should be doing as a community
1: uh certainly i mean mo- emotional functioning i just i just keep going back to that but mm-hmm. just discussing it like I, I said years and years ago and i haven't i kind of got off it. i don't know why i should probably start saying it again that At the end of my career, I would really like it if people would talk as easily about their psychological distresses as they do their physical distresses and ailments. So I have no problem having a conversation about how my ACL got repaired because I tore my knee up sliding into second base. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for some reason, it's harder for me to say that I'm. I'm having anxiety about um, whatever I'm having anxiety about, right? Or I I just can't shake the the trauma effects of this thing that I experienced. And I would like for people just to, to normalize that. Now, here's the problem. Well, here's a problem. I think it's a large one, but it's not the problem. It's a problem. My profession has done a very poor job of advertising what it does. And we've lived in the shadows for a really, really long time. And we've actually taught students who then become licensed interns who then become licensed independent practitioners that we're supposed to avoid our patients in public because if we talk to them or say hi to them it somehow breaches their confidentiality and we're going to get sued mm-hmm. we're, we're taught that we shouldn't be on social media or be doing podcasts or wow. um yeah or <laughs> Yeah, because it could be considered, quote unquote, treatment without consent. If somebody listens to this podcast and learns something and applies it, they could come back and sue me. It's all under the, like uh, you're going to get sued. Everybody's waiting around a corner to right. sue you. Yeah. Um, I was actually told one time that I shouldn't have business cards because it was solicitation and solicitation is unethical. And therefore, I could lose my license. I'm like, who, who else does that? No one. No one does that. Doctors don't do that attorneys don't do that financial advisors don't do that they all handle highly sensitive information I mean I, I go golfing with my financial advisor i I my kids and my dentists go to school together I don't but what I don't do is talk about my cavities with my dentist in the hallway at the school right now that, that would be a confidentiality breach. so right. what's happened over the last I don't know a couple of generations of of therapy is we've created this void this vacuum where, we're in the shadows. Nobody knows what we do. We we treat it like we're some special people who are the only ones who've ever handled confidential information before, and we make it weird. So we're creating stigma. Now, what happened in the last three years or so is that into that void stepped some opportunists who, for right or wrong, whatever their intentions were, they now have represented that that psychotherapy looks a certain way, and the way that certain way is, is Instant therapy online, 30 minutes at a time through a subscription platform. Uh, and that's not researched. It's not, doesn't have any fidelity. And since it's been in practice the last few years, talks-based good help or better help, good therapy, whatever those those platforms are, we're now seeing that the the people who are attending to those services are coming back into the, my office saying it didn't work. It was, it was too brief. It was cursory. It only treated the surface of the symptoms, but now that's what's what everybody's theory is, or or I'm sorry, that's what their view is. That's what their worldview is on counseling. So another pendulum swing was we went from nobody gets to talk about mental illness because it's shameful or whatever. And it swung all the way over to everybody needs a therapist. And the way that happened was massive, massive advertising campaigns. And I'm here to say, no, you don't need a therapist. Not everybody needs a therapist. Um, Solve your problems in your own kitchen. So that, of course, also makes me a somewhat of a social pariah in my own peer colleague community, but I don't really care. I'm trying to help people. Um, and also into that void stepped some maybe less than professional people who are called coaches, life coaches or whatever. Right. Uh, people with licenses look at coaches and, uh, and condescend them and kind of spit on the ground. But I'll tell you what, I, I don't know that I've met a, a life coach who's unlicensed and giving help to people on a you know some sort of fee basis. Where they exchange insight and wisdom for cash or or barter, who's not equally as good as or better than most of my colleagues? There are some fine fine coaches out there who don't have credentials after their name bestowed upon them by the state, and so I w- I'll never knock that. If you if you are getting help from somebody, keep getting help from them. Um, you know, my profession has been around for hundred and something years and humanity has been around in its current form for like 40,000 years. Somehow we got here. Right. <laughs> like, like, I don't want to take myself so seriously. And, um, and I think that's been a problem too. We take ourselves way too seriously and, and we fight among each other. It's like social workers are better than marriage and family therapists and marriage and family therapists are better than psychologists. It's like, right. stop. Yeah. And I'm sure that happens in the, in the, the
0: physical medicine, you know, as well. Like, oh, yeah, absolutely! Oh, it it you're you're not a surgeon, so you're not as important or whatever. Yeah,
1: yeah, and, and instead of just acknowledging that we all play roles, it's it becomes a turf war, and it's mm-hmm. it's stupid. And speaking speaking of the the medical community, I was looking scrolling the the comments here, and somebody said something about pediatricians seeming like they're the most anti-gun in the home, and that that's accurate actually. So, and that comes from the American Association of Pediatrics, the AAP has repeatedly and consistently said the best way to keep children safe is not to have guns in the home. It's like, okay, <laughs> wait, wait to just like discard 50% of the population because that's, that's what our research tells us is that uh, about 50% of Americans either own a gun or live with one. Right. So if they don't, they themselves don't own it. They're in the house with one. So having a a statement like that from the American association of pediatrics, which, has shot itself in the foot repeatedly since COVID. I mean, repeatedly with the the mask mandates and the vaccine pushes. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty ugly seeing them so captured by pharmaceuticals, but, um, that's where that comes from. And so you're not wrong in detecting that. Um, also not helpful is the, the suicide intervention community has tried to push into the hands of doctors in both, you know, primary care, as well as generalist medicine and now i'm seeing it in dentistry too the idea that all people who interface with individuals coming into their clinics should screen for suicidal ideation now on the surface that sounds like a great idea we could catch some people and help them not take their own lives but but within those screening tools is asking about guns and when they're not competently and compassionately asking about guns with a level of knowledge that says hey i'm just going to assume you have guns where do you store them and how, so that we can keep your kids and family safe? They're coming off as like, you know, check the box, do you have guns in the home? I like, I'm not going to tell you that. Like, right. I don't know what, what's hiding behind this this screening. So that's a problem too, because people are lying on the forms. We I know we have research on that. Emmy Betts is a psychiatrist out of Colorado who we work very closely with uh, through WTTA. She published a paper. Some colleagues published a paper just a year ago that said that yes, people are lying, and because they're lying, they're not getting the help and taking their own lives with those firearms because mm-hmm. we're clunky and off-putting with the, we ask the question. Well, that's not good. You know, we need, we need to be more competent and culturally sensitive when we, when we ask this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, I want to dive into, I definitely want to dive into the, the suicide side of things because I know that was, uh, has been a, a huge part of, you know, what's the talk of America. Uh but getting back to the pediatrician, getting back on the you know the keeping kids safe thing, it's like you know they mentioned firearms. Well, what about stairs, swimming pools, household chemicals? Uh, like you know, nobody talks about that, right? Um, yeah.
1: They do. You know, the, the buckle,
0: buckle your kids up in the car. I mean, good lord, when you drive around, how many times do you see three or four kids in the back seat jumping around and playing around with the car driving down the road? Like, come on.
1: Yeah, they, I mean, they do ask about that stuff, but I think guns are just such a such a political hot button these days that, and and that's driven by media, and, and media is driven by money because money is generated through clicks, and so there's there's some of that that's just opportunism to pay the bills, and if you can sensationalize a shooting, then you get more people to your website or whatever. But then there's also the the actual politics with policymakers at certain levels, federal, state, local, who either out of ignorance or they have an agenda they're driving anti-gun sentiment as well and it doesn't take much to sensationalize something again emotional functioning ping the brain with fear the fear says i must do something and they and then we get a knee-jerk policy reaction that pushes more people away from care than it actually helps and and we're we're not WTTA is not into the policy realm but we do have opinions about how the unintended consequences of poorly thought policies are detrimental to care access, such as purpose or extreme risk protection or red flag laws. Um, we now know because there's a new paper that came out in 2021 from New York State that more, vastly more gun owners are not seeking care because they're afraid of losing their rights than we're saving with the policy. Uh, the New York Safe Act law is the, the, the most wow. egregious overreach. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll share numbers if you want, but the, it's the most egregious overreach. But of the states that have red flag laws, a lot of them will claim inaccurately, they'll claim that their firearm suicides went down, uh, correlated with the implementation of a red flag law. However, every single state's suicides went up. Every wow. single state has gone up. Uh, Nevada was the only one that didn't in twenty. 20- 19 to 2021, 20, are stayed flat, but it wasn't because of our red flag law. It was because of the efforts of a bunch of people in the state getting education out to say, "Hey, get help right. if you need help." Um, We also have a phenomenal crisis line that's that's one of the national the national leaders. Uh, when we flipped over from the the 800 number for crisis to 988 just recently, uh-huh. Nevada's uh, crisis support services program led the led the whole country in in implementation so we are doing some really good things but you can't tell me that red flag laws are keeping people from dying they're not Um, they're actually pushing people away from care and people are getting worse because of their existence now so most red flag laws except for new york's say law enforcement or family member are the only people who can petition the court to get this protection order right now i'm hearing whispers of expansion of those red flag laws to include healthcare practitioners which is what new york did with its safe act it used to be a very narrow group that could put your name in the database. Now it's everybody with a license in healthcare, including my people. So these fears are legitimate. I wrote an article for the WTTA website in 2019. And said, you know, counselors cannot take your guns, and I listed all the ethical prohibitions and why we couldn't. But now it's increasingly less true, and that's that's a that's a big problem. We we can't be doing that to people. Um, so I think a lot of this is done out of fear and ignorance. It's not it's not malicious. Some of it might be malicious, but but by and large, every policymaker I've ever talked to, every health department person we've ever run a training for, you know, to a person has said, wow, I had no idea. What do we do? I was like, well, go talk to your legislature about unwinding this thing. Mm-hmm, well, I right. don't know if we could do that. Yeah. Yeah. Putting the genie back in the box
0: always proves more difficult. <laughs> yeah. You know, and a lot of it's probably because of the money attached with legislation right there, right? The funding that goes out and... Hey, we don't want to lose all that funding. So yes, yeah,
1: I, I think it's it's some of it's fun, but a lot of it, a lot of it is funding that you need to run the next election. So if you're right. campaigning every two years for your legislature, um, nobody's interested in your 20 year solution to mitigate um, root cause of violence. Well, They're interested language, in what yeah. did you do last year, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right, uh, broken homes or whatever it may be. They're interested in you know advertising. What they did the last session, and like, look, we passed this law and it's going to save all these lives. And never mind the fact that it's awful; it's something to right. talk about. And it's like, give me money for the next one. So it's not politically expedient to talk about root cause mitigation over a generation. It's politically expedient to say, uh, I passed this uh, magazine capacity law. I'm like, right? Okay. And how many bullets does it take to take one life? Right. One. Are you gonna? I mean, if you want to have an honest conversation, let's honestly and debate repealing the Second Amendment if that's your thing. But let's not play around with this this stuff that pretends to solve right. issues when all it does is make them worse. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And if, that's a whole different conversation if they were to bring that up. Like, I think they, mm-hmm. they're going to find, I mean, they can always put a poll out or whatever the case may be, right? And they can word the question just right, and they can parse the answers, you know, to get the effect that they want. But if you come out and just point blank say, want to repeal the second amendment i think they're going to find out real quick that uh you know the, the numbers are astronomically low of people i think that support that even the people that don't partake of the second amendment even people that are not firearm owners, are
1: going to be like yeah well i don't think we should mess with the constitution <laughs> well and, and even so let's let's say you got a bunch of momentum what are, what's the likelihood that you're going to get two-thirds of congress and three-quarters of the state legislatures to do it it's not nowadays as partisan
0: Never. as everything is yeah exactly. Yeah. going to happen. No, I agree. Uh, but yeah, it it goes that goes back in what you were talking about. You know, from just from political cycle to political cycle, it goes back into the instant gratification thing. It's yeah. it's that's exactly what that is.
1: Uh, a GWeb's a uh, question there. What are the best next steps for the mental health awareness in the gun community? Uh, I'll I'll spend some time. I know he already knows about this, but um, what WTTA is doing is we're continuing to partner with manufacturers of both guns and accessories and parts and i'm holding a flyer here that says mental health it's okay to talk about it. it says as firearms owners we often have a tough time admitting when we need help etc cetera, etc cetera. and yeah. then it invites you to take a free and anonymous screening on our website this one is designed to sit at uh shops and retail stores and ranges just passively on the counter and on the backside, there's some white space where uh an organization local in the community can stamp their thing on there. Mine says Zephyr wellness. Cause you know, it's my company. And so these will sit at the counter at Reno guns and range or some other store in town. The other thing we're doing with the manufacturers is a similar looking flyer goes into the packaging. So like arms Corps has, um, that flyer in English. And then on the backside, they have it in Spanish cause they're from Argentina. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's really cool. Uh, they also
0: have the website on their ammunition boxes.
1: Yeah, I, I said Armscor. I meant Bursa. I'm sorry, Bursa. Uh, Bursa does the, oh. the the dual language thing. Uh, Armscor has it printed right on the packaging, right? It says "Take free anonymous health screening today." Uh, so we're in some talks with some other people. Uh, Ruger's been a big supporter. They're going to start doing it, I think, in their um, in their manuals, which is really cool. So it's like nice. it's just permanently there. And I think that's, that's where we want to go. So that's one, one thing is get, get the big boys to put the stuff in their packaging again, as a passive non-threatening invitation, check in on yourself. It, it just starts to become part of the normal conversation um, and donations. We need donations. But the other angle is we're trying to create a 50 state directory of practitioners, not just mental health, but all medical so that we can, you know, when we receive these emails and, and social media inquiries, you know, Mike and I get them, she's one to three times a week now. Um, I'm no longer having to take Zoom calls and walking them, walking them through PsychologyToday.com, for example, to find little telltale signs to get a, a decent practitioner who's not, you know, not woke or, you know, going to take your property or whatever. Um, but we can just simply point them to our directory and say, oh, you're in Missouri here. Go to, go to this these people. They're yep. they're in our directory they took our course they've got our stamp of approval you know so that'll that's the the, the effort for 2023 we really want to build out that that directory
0: yeah and for you know for the average person out there that's listening um you know one thing that that i've done and i think if more people would take the initiative and do it uh you know you can download those flyers and things uh, from the website uh, i would suggest you know going to your local gun shop uh your local range even but now, for me, the gun shop, because the idea of getting those somehow tied into the manufacturers is great, but you guys are not going to be able to reach all manufacturers. That's just, you know, it's, that's no. that unattainable goal we talked about, right? It's just, for whatever reason, corporate structure or whatever, it's likely not going to happen. But one thing that is getting missed, even by going with those manufacturers in the firearm industry, is the used firearm market. How many used firearms a day are sold, right? Yeah. And so if you one can ammo. reach out. Yeah. If you can reach out to your local gun shops and it's one thing I've done, uh, and say, Hey, do you mind printing these off? And they, they don't even mind printing them off themselves and folding these up and putting them with the used firearms that you sell. Right.
1: That's brilliant. I, I love that idea. And, and, and that's it, where the community steps in. Cause we can't yeah. be everywhere. I mean, there's no, it, it's, it's, so many it, gun shops. it's
0: incumbent upon those that understand the need for what you guys are doing right and and for those people that say like g was and, and others like hey how do i help so you got a regular gun shop you frequent there you go hit them up and say and even if you you offer to print the flyers off it's not that expensive to print a <laughs> to print those you can print two on one sheet of paper you know and then cut yeah. it in half so uh, it's not that bad
1: we got uh, um we got a bunch of stickers i'm looking around i don't have one in front of me but for our uh for our podcast too, this is you know, the other shiny they like said guns and mental health on I mean, they're like holographic and they're really cool those the the flyers at at reno guns don't go as quickly as the stickers and the right. stickers are really cool looking so um if you guys you know if anyone wants to email me i'll i'm more than the zephyr hands up paid for most of this stuff but i'll i'll buy some stickers and mail them to you you can bring them to your local gun shop and that'll that'll always spread the word too because it's kind of cool looking stickers. guns and guns and mental health it's not guns or mental health right well i would
0: i would venture a guess that that you guys would not be opposed if somebody took that bought one of those stickers scanned it or whatever or got the graphic and had those made i don't think you guys would be opposed not to one that bit. right no
1: yeah. i will we will yeah. send we're not proprietary about this i mean we just. I want to. I
0: want to do that. So once we get off here, I'll hit you up and we'll figure out how to how to make that happen with a graphic. Uh, I've got a local printing shop that does stickers and stuff. They do mine. I would love to get some of those and leave those because I think you're right. I think that's a good idea. And the reason that's a good idea, the flyer is one thing because they're going to see that flyer. And even if they see it and throw it away, this is the point I've always made with that flyer. Even if they see that and they throw it away, they're like, "What is this?" And they look and they throw it away. Um, You guys have a really good headline and and bold, the bold text on that flyer is really good. So let's say that they are having a mental health issue later on or they have a family member, right? At the very least, maybe they remember that flyer, right? And they Mm -hmm. may not remember the organization or whatever, but they can get on the Internet and they're just, hey, I remember something with that firearm I bought. It said something about the firearms and mental health and stuff, right? And so it it at least sparks something in their brain to to try to seek out uh some help or some some uh, what am I thinking yeah, I guess help yeah no heard. that's
1: exactly it and and the idea that it's paired with a gun store or right. A range right you know, it's like oh that's that's a a passive connection to it. this is normal now i can can have this conversation and not be skittish. Um, I love, I love the idea of the stickers. And so uh, we have wristbands too. And well, have other the, people are be-
0: going to see other, yeah. The, and I've gotten, I've gotten comments on the wristband. The wristbands are cool. Uh, but the stickers, throw so that on the back window of the car, this, that, the other, the, yeah. the beauty of the stickers versus the flyer is that that's advertising. Other people are going to see that, that flyer, you're going to take that home. Somebody's going to take it home. Right. It's probably going to end up in the garbage sure. at some point.
1: The sticker they
0: throw that on something and then it's there
1: water bottle laptop yeah and i carry them with me in my truck so it's amazing how many times i've been at the costco gas pumps and um i'll see the, the car in front of me has you know veteran license plate or a mm-hmm. nine line sticker or something and i'll i'll, I'll just be like hey you gun guy and they're like, yeah, absolutely. I was like, well, here, and I'll, I'll pull off my wristband. I'll be like, here, I'm a part of this organization. And yep. walk talk America, we do this thing. And they're like, that's really cool, man. And they put it on. And then I'll like grab a sticker and be like, here, stick this on your water bottle. Like, Thanks. That's so cool. That's so needed. And and it's great. Like I I've I've done that dozens of times. Airport. When I'm sitting there in the terminal, I will see somebody's T-shirt, and it's like, oh, Black Rifle Coffee. You good guy. right? Um, right? I have to make effort, and then it's it spread like that, and uh, it's one gun person talking to another gun person about this thing that nobody in the gun community talks about, and that's how we normalize it. Yep, exactly.
0: Uh, yeah, G followed up out there, G-Webs. He says, uh, anything happened in the past few years that's moved mental health awareness forward that was unexpected or unplanned?
1: Well, yeah, fortunately... Um, the pandemic you know, and the lockdowns that was that was disastrous Damn for youth. for Uh, youth. uh it was disastrous for a lot of people and some people i swear their brains just broke they're, they're focusing on they're never gonna let go mask, even though we've got research after research after research says they don't work they never did work and that's why we never used them before um it, people are um people now i think hyper aware of their own Psychological functioning, they know that they're, they're suffering, children are suffering, and that was that was unexpected. It was so unfortunate. Now, like I said, the pendulum is swung, but we've got cultural considerations like being on a mobile device and wearing your face in a screen and not having authentic human relationships anymore. That's problematic. One thing I'll drop in here too is if you're not familiar with it, uh, um. Jonathan Haidt or uh work, uh, the coddling of the American mind is a great, great book. The website is coddling.com. They continually update their their research and their evidence and their data, and it's showing what's happening to our youth. It's alarming, it's really, really bad. And if and the other thing I mentioned is, if you haven't seen the movie, it's, it's a documentary called The Social Dilemma. That was put together by some people. From an organization called this uh the foundation for humane technology and you can find it at humanetech.org that documentary was the product of a series of podcasts that they started in 2019 exploring the impact of technology on society and it's from a bunch of people who have left big tech uh guys who invented the the endless scroll for example and they thought they were doing it for good reason but then they realized they were basically emulating gambling machines and that's (laughs) and the the humans have now become the product they're not selling a product you are the product and your time on device is what they're what drives their bottom line and unfortunately it works because we know through behavioral conditioning that that's how people get addicted right so Uh it truly is a a mass global addiction now to uh, social media. And if I can spend a little time talking about why this is problematic, I will go back to the tribe thing. Mm -hmm. Humans evolved, and I explain this in the, the video series too, so if you want to just watch the videos later and see it again, you can. Humans evolved in our current homo sapien form because we connected in tribes. And what the tribe did is allowed us to stave off things like predator attacks and environmental change and so forth. And the reason the other ones died off, the Australopithecus, the Neanderthal, the Denisovans and all that, is because they were they were smarter. They had bigger bigger frontal lobes, but they worked individually. And so the theory goes, anthropologically, that, that we have evolved and they didn't because we hung together in tribes. The reason we hung together in tribes is because we have emotional functioning that tells us to connect with human beings. Two of those really important emotions are shame and guilt. Shame says... You fail to meet the expectations of someone else, meaning somebody in your tribe. Guilt says, go fix it. And the the message behind that is you better fix it or you get kicked out of your tribe. If you get kicked out of your tribe, you're going to die because you need the tribe. Now, the problem is the tribe is supposed to be dozens, not hundreds or hundreds of thousands, which is what social media is telling us. So we have the same neurological function we've had for several thousand years, but the message is different. So when we see somebody dislike a comment on our Twitter post, we we get a, a ping in our brain that says, uh-oh, you failed to meet that person's expectations. The problem is that person's not in your tribe. Uh-huh. You, your brain is telling you that they are because they're human, they look like you, they're in your community, whatever, but they're not. And so we get really neurotic about making sure we're appeasing everyone. And Fright. that's causing a lot of our problems. And guess where it's coming through? The screen, right? Um, And we can denigrate TikTok, you know, on specific platforms all we want. But the point is, overall, we've got a very poor impression of who is supposed to be in our tribe. We got to learn how to set good boundaries with that. Right. Um, Let's do uh, let's do something
0: a little fun here. Before we uh, get out of here, I'm calling this the light at least temporarily we're calling it the lightning round and uh, so i'm gonna throw some things at you jake yes. and uh, you don't have to don't explain your answer we don't care uh but you have to pick one of the two as quickly hopefully as you possibly can so uh let's see oh this was good you kind of mentioned this one earlier a little bit uh Have you rather be Bruce Wayne or Tony Stark? Bruce Wayne. Uh, Pancakes or waffles? Waffles. Uh, If you were going to be stranded, which would be better for you, the desert or a rainforest?
1: Oh, boy. Um, Desert, only because I'm more familiar with it.
0: Given the opportunity, climb Mount Everest or dive into the Mariana Trench. Trench. Uh, pick your fighter in their prime: Muhammad Ali or Mike Tyson.
1: Am I watching or fighting them?
0: You are. You are picking who would win.
1: Oh, uh, who? Um, I, I'm going to go Tyson
0: uh let's see what else what else do we got here oh
1: spam or corned beef corned beef like not even close yeah right close (laughs) corned beef's a brisket of course i'm gonna go the brisket
0: well that was that was one of them was uh pulled pork or chopped beef so you're going chopped beef
1: no no because you're saying pulled pork i mean pulled pork is not spam spam's like so you has go got its place. I don't. So you don't, would go
0: pulled pork. So you would go pulled pork over chopped beef.
1: I would. I would go pulled pork over chopped beef.
0: Okay. Um, Jogging or hiking?
1: Hiking. I
0: hate uh, vacation in the mountains or vacation at the beach? Beach. Okay. Okay. Just the there's mind. there's no there's no right or wrong answer. It's just uh it's just a lightning round. It's just something fun. fun to do. That's like all. That. So, um yeah before we get out of here jake i'll give you a couple of minutes um obviously if you've, you've been listening to this as i said at the beginning there's links down below to zephyr wellness to the noggin notes podcast to walk the talk america and uh, everybody needs to check them out in the live chat out there i did put some of the uh links that jake gave us as well so definitely check those out but i guess aside from all those things jake um yeah. Anything in closing? Final thoughts? That sort of thing.
1: Um. Just uh. I, I I invite everybody to try to work on their vulnerability. Vulnerability is kind of a scary word, I think, sometimes because we uh, when we're vulnerable, there's an opportunity to get whacked, and unfortunately, if if you take that that approach, you're not really going to connect because also through vulnerability, we connect with, uh, intimacy. And Mm -hmm. so if you want to improve your relationships, you want to improve your self-reflection allow yourself to be vulnerable, not just with other people, but with yourself so that you can improve your own functioning, uh, examine your blind spots, that kind of thing and receive feedback. So that's, that's what I would say. If you want to reach me, I'm pretty active on Twitter these days at Jake Wisk. It's just J-A-K-E-W-I-S-K. Um, and if you want to, you know, read some stuff, I've got a substack that I'm starting to get into. It's just Jake Whisk at Substack or dot substack dot com. And so. uh yeah. Zephyr dot org for resources.
0: Cool. Thanks, Jake, for uh for stopping in. We'll definitely get you back on at some other point. Maybe you and Mike even at the same time Ooh. next time. Could be kind of uh could be kind of fun. So appreciate your uh, your time today, Jake.
1: Yeah, thanks, buddy. I'm I'm glad to do it. Um, like I said, I'm just trying to you know make Earth better. So any opportunity I get to share this stuff is um, great by me. I understand. And uh,
0: yeah, so with that, we'll say uh, once again, uh, this podcast is sponsored by MTM Case Guard. Uh, check them out: www.mtmcase-guard.com and uh, use the code CloverTag for ten percent off on that thanks to the patreon patrons the youtube channel members those that super chat those that super thanks those that shop clovertech.com shop because you guys rock um yeah more podcasts next week i mean we're down uh, second episode now of 22 i think in this season two more will be recording live we invite you to join next week i don't recall the guest off the top of my head but uh everything is scheduled on the youtube channel so uh you can jump over there and check that out uh yeah till next time don't forget to change our freedom we appreciate the patreon patrons and youtube channel members who keep these podcasts going if you're looking for cool stickers patches and other gear be sure to check out clovertac.com
1: Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Clover Tack Podcast.